Hi guys, I'm Alyssa Williamson, and you're listening to the Firefly Movement Podcast. We're here to talk about mental health, personal growth, make mental health resources known and accessible, and to help you become the person you were meant to be. The Firefly Movement is a group of licensed professional counselors. We know better than anyone that the world is full of dark stuff, so we're here to lighten things up. We know that people heal and help other people heal when they can tune into their unique gifts and shine their light to help others. Each episode, we talk about someone who's doing just that, and we learn how they discovered and developed their unique gifts and how they're using it to shine a light in the dark. Join our movement by subscribing, leaving us a review so that more people can find us, and following us on Instagram. You can also contact us at our website, fireflymovement.org, to tell us how you're bringing light into your world or nominate someone to be featured by us. Okay, here's the show. Although we're licensed professional counselors, this is just a reminder that this is not a substitute for actual therapy or mental health or medical treatment. So be sure to talk to your doctor about what's right for you. Hi everyone, it's Alyssa Williamson. I'm really excited to introduce our first ever guest on the Firefly Movement podcast, Lynn McCracken. Lynn was my clinical supervisor when I was an intern, and she's a singer-songwriter here in the DFW area. Lynn has a really powerful story about how she encountered grief and started realizing that some of the things that she was teaching people in counseling she needed for herself, but that she also needed to get really, really creative in the ways that she was dealing with her emotions. And now she's a major advocate for using creativity and the arts and music as a way to help people heal. So I'm really excited for you to hear what she has to say. Here she is. Okay, Lynn, so I've already introduced you on the podcast intro, but could you tell us just a little bit about who you are and tell us about what Firefly Movement is? Sure. Um, I am Lynn McCracken, and I um, started Firefly Movement along with my partner, Jerry Marshall, and our whole amazing team, of which you are a part of, um, of um, interns and licensed professional counselors. And Firefly Movement is um, really at its core about helping people to discover their their gifts and talents so that they can develop those and share them with the world and um, in whatever way um, you know just in their lives like with at work in their relationships so when when I say the world I don't mean like you have to like take over the world but um, but the the mission is to to be a light in the world and to be a light in your own unique way. And the best way to do that is to is to figure out what it is that um, that your superpowers are, and to develop those and um, and find a way to to um, bring those into into your everyday life. And when you are doing that, you inspire other people and encourage other people that are are in times of darkness, and it brings light into dark times. Oh, that's awesome. And there's a nonprofit component to this, correct? Yes. The nonprofit po- um, component focuses mostly on going. So, Firefly Movement, we have people come to us as clients, um, coaching clients, counseling clients, families, couples, and, and stuff like that. But Fire, my Firefly is the non nonprofit where we go out into the community and teach coping skills. It's it's a lot about preventative mental health. We want to teach people things that it's not really rocket science. Um, things that people need to to know so that when crisis hits, they know what the red flags are. They know when to get help. When they need to reach out and get a counselor. Number one. Um, also, how to help other people. Things to say that might make it worse. Things that, to say that 
might help and make it better. And then also just, you know, some basic things about learning how to think in, in healthier ways and learning how to, how to adjust your thinking, feeling, and doing so that you can um, have healthier relationships. We do that in organizations. So sometimes we go out to churches, sometimes businesses, schools, and uh, we just, we, we want to be a resource to the community to help people um, get ahead of the actual like clinical depression and anxiety and mm -hmm. stuff like that to give people the skills that might even prevent that from happening. Okay, so you want to do lots of preventative mental health to make sure that people aren't getting to the point where they're really sick and need to be hospitalized or need really intensive care or even out an outpatient level. But what was it that kind of sparked this idea for you to do something different? Because you were very successful as a counselor. Like, you're really mm -hmm. full. Right. You charge, you know, a decent amount of money. Like, you're, you're very, very successful at what you're doing already. Well, I think one, I'm, I'm always, I get bored easily. And so I, I like to, um, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I like to have lots of different projects going at the same time, but also yeah. as I, I became a supervisor and started supervising my really great team of, of interns of which you were one <laughs> of them, um, I just started becoming really inspired by the idea of us being able as a team to help more people than just one person at a time. And so um, it's something that I couldn't just do on my own. And just knowing that, that we could go out into the community and do that was really huge for me. And, and knowing that there are people everywhere that are hurting that that really may not go to counseling. Yeah, uh, may that's not, true. They may feel ashamed to go to counseling or they they might not have even been exposed to what happens in counseling. And so even just going out in the community and, and having conversations and talking about coping skills, and this is what we do in counseling. We teach people coping skills. Mm -hmm. And then they practice those coping skills. And then they start to have a new a new skill that they feel more confident at and they get better and then they tell other people about it hopefully and then it becomes uh, counseling becomes less of of a of a thing to be ashamed of and yeah. more of a this is where you go to get skills when you're hurting um at some point here you you kind of shifted from just doing counseling to being a singer songwriter yes that was um unexpected and as the result of um, really kind of my own trying to practice what I preach as a counselor during a difficult time where grief kind of really hit me hard. Can you tell me about that? Yeah and it's really what inspired the my obsession with fireflies and and the name firefly movement and and just the whole idea of that was my um, my very close friend Patty Audie had a, a daughter that was my daughter, Lily's best friend. Her, her name was Kate, but we called her Caterbug, and she was born a preemie. And so when she would get sick, uh, she would always just get more sick than, you know, she'd get a cold. She It would end up being bronchitis every time, or it would just, it would be more severe because of, of her lungs and, and them being weaker. And, um, so she was best friends with my with my daughter Lily and and they would play together and and we were actually in a babysitting co-op so we would uh, babysit each other's children a lot yeah. and and just part of this really great community of moms that supported one another and 
Um, Kate was at our house one Friday jumping on the trampoline with Lily and having a great time. And then I got a call on Saturday that she had a temperature and, and Patty was asking if Lily was sick. And I said, no, Lily's good. And, mm-hmm. um, it just, it all happened so fast by, by Tuesday, um, she called and said she was in the hospital and that, that she was gone that night. It was just very unexpected. And I was just completely blindsided by that loss. You know? Yeah. Um, as a mom, it's like the most terrifying thing to be faced with the idea that, yeah, that, um, anyone's child could, um, could be gone, but, but, um, my daughter's best friend who was just jumping on the trampoline and having a great time yeah. and laughing and just watched days before up. and yeah. yeah, and being there, um, and seeing her grow. I mean, it was just absolutely like to wrap my mind around that was, um, just so hard. And, and that night that I got the call, it was about 1130 at night, if I recall correctly. And, um, I remember just being hysterical and, and going to get Lily and just listening to her breathe <laughs> And, and just, uh, feeling like I was kind of losing my mind because I couldn't, I, I'm not a real big crier. So, uh, me not being able to stop, uh, crying was, um, just, just lying there and, and trying to catch my breath. But while I was crying, I caterbug the firefly, caterbug the firefly, caterbug the firefly, caterbug the, kept repeating in my mind. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm losing my mind now. Um, I probably, what would I tell a client to do? Uh, I'd probably tell them to get up and write it down because then maybe it'll stop. <laughs> yeah. So I got up and I, I wrote that down, Caterbug the Firefly, and this poem came out and um, just like automatic writing. And um, I had written songs my whole life growing up. It was something I did kind of just in private. It was my own therapy. I would hear the, the melody and I would write lyrics and I had... I had lots of spirals full of, of songs that I had written. Um, but then when my dad died, um, it was 21 years ago, um, mm. I was 23 years old. I completely had shut that down. That whole, like wow. writing anything, writing songs or writing poems or anything like that had stopped when I was 23. And so this night that, that Kate died, um, and this is coming up on 10 years and I'm 45 now, so 35. So, um, so it had been completely shut down for 12 years. I had not yeah. written anything. And then all of a sudden I'm automatically writing this, this poem and, and I know how I write. I, I'll come up with an idea. I'll have a couple of lines and then I write all over the page trying to come up with, with how I'm going to put it together. But yeah. this just came out like from start to finish. And so it was very like, what, um, and, and then that night I started just printing out every picture of Kate and thinking about the idea of, of fireflies and how we, whenever we see a firefly, it's dark outside and how we just stop. And there's this awe and wonder that happens that, that makes you forget that it's even dark outside and you just go, <gasps> and you look for the next spark of light and you look for the next spark of light. And I think in that, that night of, of just feeling like I had been plunged into the deepest, darkest hole. I, I just, my mind clung to this idea of like, find the light, you know? Mm. And so, um, I wrote, I wrote Kate the, the poem and, 
Um, and I gave it, or the next day, um, my husband came in and, and to me looking like a crazy person with all of her pictures printed and, and the poem. And, and I had written all of this stuff cause all these ideas came to me about, it was pretty crazy. I, I probably looked definitely like a crazy person when he walked in. Cause I was like, there's going to, he walked in and I go, I wrote this poem for Kate and there, I have all these pictures and also there's going to be a business and it's going to be about bringing light into the darkness. It's going to be about fireflies. And, wow. and I just started going on and on and on. He kind of looked at me like you've lost your mind. And he said, uh, don't, whatever you do, do not say anything to Patty about that. And I was like, well, I'm duh. Like I'm a counselor. I'm not going to be like, Oh, your daughter died. There's going to be a business. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I will mm-hmm. not be doing that. <laughs> Um, and he goes, and don't give her that poem, whatever you do. And I said, well, actually, uh, this is like, I didn't really feel like it came just for me. I felt like it was definitely like a, yeah, like a divinely inspired thing that just came out of, I, it was yeah. an automatic writing thing. And so, um, I was like, I have to give it to her and I'll warn her that, you know, it, it's, you know, it might be emotional, but, uh, probably she's already emotional. So I think she'll be okay. Um, mm-hmm. um, so I gave, uh, Patty the poem the next day and she ended up using it in Kate's memorial service. And, um, and then I held on to that piece, uh, of knowledge knowing there was going to be this business. I mean, I just had this vision about it. It was very strange and I wrote it in my journal and, and just waited. And I told Patty, I actually could not go to the memorial service because we were leaving three days later to go on a cruise with my family because my my stepdad had stage four cancer and um, I couldn't not go. Yeah. Um, and so I was devastated that I was gonna miss Kate's memorial. So um, Patty used it in the in the like pronouns and, and I promised her, I said, you know, I'm not gonna be at the memorial, but I want you to know that two weeks from now when everybody stops checking on you, that um, I'm gonna be there and we're gonna walk through this together. And it, it's gonna suck (laughs) yeah um but like we need each other because I needed her I mean I knew she needed someone because yeah to be a mom and lose your kid but like I needed her just as much because I was like I don't know how I'm gonna reframe this it's very uh I'm pretty good at reframing almost any sad thing and everything you learned as a counselor I couldn't I had no I had no tools for reframing this and and really kind of lost my like question god and was like what the hell god really like you know there's this pedophile over here that's alive but where's kate you know i just really went into this place of like trying to figure out how to um how to regain uh hope and and faith when um faced with this just terrible grief and with any grief it brings up all of your unresolved grief that you have from previous times too. So it was really, um, for me, I was really devastated about Kate and, and didn't know how to wrap my mind around that. And also a lot of guilt survivors, survivors guilt too, like guilt over like why her daughter and then I get to keep my daughter. And then every time I see my friend thinking I have to protect her from even seeing my daughter grow because it's like a salt in the wound for her. Like I don't get, my daughter doesn't get to grow up. And so, um, we had a lot of real conversations about that and about how people reacted to the grief and how, how a lot of people, um, just avoided her because they didn't know what to say. 
Um, and then there was a whole group of people that um, would say things, but they would be the wrong things that would really injure her. You know, one of the things that over and over again we would talk about every week when we would meet is, is so many people saying, you know, it's God's will. She's mm-hmm. like, one more people, if one more person says it's God's will, like, I will strangle them, yeah. you know? So I'd be like, how about instead of strangling them, we will just talk about it every week and go, like, uh, this is, acknowledge that people are not, uh, again, back to, like, the preventative mental health stuff, because this kind of spurred on a lot of yeah. thoughts about that. People are not taught how to deal with grief, and so they do the best they can. Yeah. And a lot of times they avoid because they just feel uncomfortable, don't know what to say, or they say what you know they think is the right thing to say. Um, yeah, against God's will, or um, which you know you could come to that conclusion later in your own grief, but mm-hmm. having that imposed on you by someone when you are still in the middle of grief is not ever helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we just started this whole conversation about, oh, how could we teach people also this thing about, like, to be so- there for someone when they're grieving is uh, is more than just um, showing up at the memorial with a card or with flowers, and that in other cultures, sometimes people wear black for a whole year so that other people know to give them grace and to care for them mm-hmm. because the grieving process takes a really long time at a minimum a year. Yeah. And so, um, we just started talking about how, how can, how can we, um, help educate people about that? And so I started, um, a journal at that time talking about different ways to even like, I'm not very good at remembering things um, or following up or sticking with sad stuff because I get excited by shiny objects or busy with things. And so I was like, wouldn't it be cool if there was like a, if there was something that you could sign up for when, when someone you love loses someone and you want to be there for them? Yeah. Like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a service where you could sign up and it could, it could remind you about things so this is a preventative mental health thing like like anniversaries of people's deaths so that Mm -hmm. you follow up with that person or you could you could send people things like every month on the date of the loss and say I'm still thinking about you and have it automatically sent to them and then it could send you an email and say hey follow up with this person they might be going through this right now or here's something you could ask or like helping people to know are you watching this app Oh, I want you to know, I've already, like, I, I, I have I have pages and pages and pages of things that I wrote about it, and I actually yeah. talked to an investor about it for a while who just kept going, how do you monetize it, how do you monetize it, how do you monetize it, how do you, and I was like, you I monetize don't care, it. I just I don't, want to yeah. help people. Yeah. Um, so, so that kind of started my whole, um, like, brainstorm I'm on sure all of the things. I'm sure cookie delivery service would make a killing off oh, of it, to it be was, honest. Oh, I had all these things. I was yeah. like, we could have partnerships with cookies and yeah. flowers and um, snacks and just, like, yeah. candles and all, warm blankets so that they could <laughs> co- cuddle up or wine, if that's uh, your thing. But, like, just letting people know, like, I am still thinking about you, and yeah. I am still here, and you can still reach out to me. And then also, the, just these hilarious conversations we would have about the wrong things that people would do, too. I came up with this whole, like, um, there was a study that was done, I learned about in my undergrad, that really stuck with me, that mm. I, I, I want everybody to know about. They did the study, they, they 
put like hundreds of thousands of dollars to figure out what can you say when when you've lost somebody that you love is there anything that will be helpful and the only thing is this sucks yeah that's the only yeah. thing so so patty and i would talk about that and just um counterintuitive but so true because it just acknowledges it that way you can talk about how bad it sucks if you want to, you yeah. give that person the opening to do it. Yes, it sucks. It sucks in this way and this way and this way and this way. Or you could just be like, if the person's in a better place, they could go, yeah, but they could do the reframe. Yeah, but yeah. I have people here for me and I'm really grateful or whatever. Like, it just helps just to acknowledge that. And so then I came up with this whole idea about there needs to be like this line of candy that says this sucks. Yes. Kind of like an Altoid um, mm-hmm. box. And that underneath in the, you know, there's like a little paper that in the Altoid box, I was like in the little, on the little paper on the other side, there could be this like silver lining and inspirational quote, like for when you're ready for this, here's an inspirational quote, but for now this sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Being able to, so I had this whole line of things that I was, uh, all year long, like coming up with all these ideas of things that I wanted to do. And, um, and it really was just my way of trying to um, get excited about ideas for helping people so that I didn't have to... It was your way to, of coping with I didn't that. have to deal with the pain myself. Um, but really walking through all of that with her and staying um, in that um, really made, uh, made it hard for me to just avoid it because I didn't want to be one of those people that avoided it. And I had to... I had to pay attention to what are my coping mechanisms like. And I started noticing I was drinking wine every night. It wasn't like I was drinking a whole bottle of wine, but when I'm noticing the things that I ask my clients yeah. about where, you know, I'm, I'm coming home and I'm immediately pouring a glass of wine and then I'm having another one before bed mm-hmm. and it's happening every day. And, and I'm like, Oh no, I'm running out. I need to go get, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I was like, that's not a good, my, my kids are seeing me do that. And that's what I tell people about if, you know, how do we learn how to cope with things? We just watch our parents. And so if they're only seeing me in pain and drinking wine, yeah, then that's what they're going to learn. And, and coming from a family of, you know, alcoholics, I did not want to be teaching them that. So it was a wake up call for me. Like, Oh my gosh, I need to figure out how to cope with this. Mm-hmm. I'm not really doing well. And, and wow. so I had and to, meanwhile, you're still going to work and having to help other people yeah, with and then their pain and, and their problems. Yeah, like, out. And, and, and it was during that time I, uh, Brene Brown's book came out, Daring Greatly, and I was reading that, and I was feeling like the biggest hypocrite ever. And I was writing songs because they were just coming out of me. And I knew I needed to take guitar lessons, which I had tried several times unsuccessfully. And, um, and my husband took me to uh, a concert and it was kind of out of the blue. We didn't even know who it was. His name's Richard Thompson. Now I know he's like a huge folk hero guy. I actually just got to see him this last year at Kerrville. And he, um, but he played this song. It was, he bought me the tickets because the Lakewood Theater had been closed forever. And I'd always said I wanted to go. And it opened. And he just saw there's this person there. And he bought tickets. So mm-hmm. to surprise me, probably because it's hard to be around me when I'm sad and he probably was just like, maybe this will make her happy. (laughs) Um, so then I, I go with him and, and Richard Thompson sang this song and I had never heard it before. Um, and, and it's called a brother slips away and, and it's about losing. I mean, it's about him losing several people and it, and I completely lost it and could not stop crying 
and my husband, you know, we had been married at the time for, you know, uh, 15, you know, 12 years or something. And, um, and he was looking at me like panicked, like what? And I was like, don't talk to me. And I just, Mm. I could not, I was just weeping, like couldn't stop crying. But what was happening inside of me is, um, one, just the grief was all bubbling up, but I realized like I have to take guitar lessons and I'm going to have to be up there singing songs that I wrote. And I was fighting that. I was having this internal battle, like wrestling, like, no, I'm not going to do that. Yes, you are going to do that. No. And I was like, again, going, I'm probably losing my mind. Um, (laughs) and, and just crying. And and my husband's looking at me and I'm like, I'll talk to you later about it. Like, I'm not talking to you in the middle of this concert and don't talk to me during the song because I needed to hear the song. And Mm -hmm. it was so like, it just brought this, uh, all of this to a head for me. And, um, we got out into the car and he was like, what is going on? And I think he really was bracing himself for some terrible news. Yeah. Cause he's not used to seeing me like, yeah. Um, hysterical out of the blue. And I said, I need to take guitar lessons. And he was like, okay. <laughs> All right. Cause he didn't know this part of me. I'd shut it down three months after we met is when my dad died. And so I'd shut this songwriting part of my brain down and just went full on into helping other people with their feelings so that I could avoid mine. Mm. And, um, and so I started taking guitar lessons and, and reading Daring Greatly at the same time, which was saying I needed to be vulnerable and share this stuff. And I was having this internal fight about sharing songs I wrote and arguments with my guitar teacher weekly about, how sharing songs I wrote feels like being a stripper. And, oh my goodness. <laughs> and, and he was kind of like, he would turn red when I would say that, but I was like, no, literally, that's what it feels like. I never wanted to be a stripper, so no, I don't want to get naked <laughs> on a stage in front of people and share my feelings. Like, that's how completely uncomfortable it would make me feel. And I would shake and, like, well, like not even be yeah. able to handle... Um, singing I did my first open mic night on my 39th birthday because uh, of daring greatly and I felt really convicted and like I if I'm gonna tell people to do this all day long and face their fears then I should probably not be a big hypocrite mm. and I want to show my kids that if you have a fear that you face it and so I, I came up with this plan to just uh, face my my fear between 39 and 40 and to kick stage fright's ass. So I did, um, I did my first open mic night on my 39th birthday. I was not going to invite anyone because I did not want anyone to be there. <laughs> I knew, and I, I just, I picked this place all the way at White Rock Lake where I was going to do it. And, um, and then, um, another tragic thing uh, was going on in our neighborhood and I was talking to um, another lady who was in that babysitting co-op, my friend Liz, whose daughter had just had brain surgery for for brain cancer. Mm. Her name's Vivian. And I had been there to visit her in the hospital, and she was so brave and amazing, and she had just gotten out of the hospital. And she was standing there um, with her walker and, and her glasses, which one of them had tape over it because of the brain tumor yeah. um, she needed to be, you know, it helped her stabilize. And so I'm telling Liz, yes, my birthday, I'm going to do this open mic night, but no, no one can come because I'm terrified and I'm not going to tell you where it is. And 
she's like, please let your friends be there for you. And I was like, no, I'm terrified. I'm scared, blah, blah, blah. And, and Vivian was standing right there by me. And, um, and she was pulling on my jacket and going, Miss McCracken, um, um, Miss McCracken. And I was like, hold on a second, Vivian. No, I'm really scared and blah, blah, blah. No one can be there for me. And thanks, though. And then I, I bent down and put my hands on, on Vivian's walker and looked at her one eye through her glasses. And she said, uh, Miss McCracken, what are you afraid of? Mm. And uh, basically just like kind of bitch slapped me. Like, yeah. <laughs> like boom. Yeah. And I was like, uh, you just had brain cancer and a and a surgery to remove that and had all of your hair um shaved off and and you're standing there with a walker you were just this healthy child that I knew that was playing with my daughter and you are exactly right like she didn't complain in in the hospital at all about being scared but uh, this grown woman is standing there saying she's terrified to sing a song she wrote in front of people that love her and that little girl just like whipped my butt and was like (laughs) yeah so I invited everyone to come and I promptly um was terrified and forgot the words to my own song in the middle of a song and had to start over and I was horrified and I thought it was the worst thing ever and I was like I never want to do that again um but um that was kind of that was the beginning of um that um whole process of facing my fear and, and trying to, um, to deal with grief in, uh, in healthier ways. Um, I to, I always tell my clients to use, be creative and to write and to maybe learn something new and that that helps your brain. And, um, and so I had to put some of these things into practice that I had been telling people to do all the time, which is a, a lot, it's a lot easier said than done. Um, and that's what led to, um, all of this, this stuff. And that's how you started the firefly movement. That, that was the beginning of it was the whole idea of, and I wrote a song called my firefly about how people and, and walking through the grief with Patty, we also kept, we, we would say, you know, this person who showed up in her life and did this amazing thing. We were recognizing that too. Um, teaching people how how to care for people and we were like what if there was a blog where um, where she could write you know the person who showed up at her house with mass amounts of toilet paper and paper towels on that first day and, and we looked at each other like what and and then realized later that person really knew that when everyone descends upon your house that's what you run out of first wow and so like wow what if what if that could be written somewhere? This person was a firefly. They brought light into a dark time by knowing what to do, not being asked, and just doing it. And um, and another person wrote her a letter. I believe it was every Tuesday because I think that was the day that Kate died. And, and told her, I'm going to show up with a handwritten letter on Tuesday mornings at this time. And if you want to talk, you can invite me in. If you don't want to talk, you don't have to. And she would bring it every Tuesday for a long time. And yeah. I was like, that is amazing that if if that story could be told and shared, someone that's really good and organized <laughs> could, <laughs> would have an idea about how to be there for someone, yeah. right? 
um, that's not my strong suit, but someone else would be like, that's what I could do. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so that was the other part of, of just talking about how, how to be a firefly in someone else's life and how to recognize someone who brings light into your life in a time of darkness. And, um, and then how, when you're in darkness to, to consciously look for the light, because it's hard to, when, when it seems like everything that you knew has been, your whole world has been rocked and you have to come up with a new normal and figure out how to have faith again and how to interact with the world again, um, in this, uh, in this place of grief, which is really hard. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the story of, of the counselor who, um, kind of, uh, lost my ability to reframe things and, and was desperately trying to find light in the darkness in the form of, um, people who show up as fireflies. So that's Lynn, guys. I hope that gives you a really good idea of what we're trying to do with this podcast and how we want to just make talking about mental health more accessible, help people have the skills and the tools that they need to take care of themselves and help us live in a way that's more connected and help people access and use their gifts in a way that makes a difference. Please like and subscribe. And like I said, you can go ahead and nominate people if you want them featured on the podcast in the future at our website at fireflymovement.org.